All right, we are live, and we uh, we are on lesson fifty nine, according to uh, according to Caleb. I think he's right. Yes, sir. We are. So let's see what we've got here. We are in Second Peter. Thanks for that update. Don't just read Second Peter one, but read all of Second Peter. And Jude, and then First John. So uh, we'll be s slipping through quickly because there is not a lot of halakhic statements that I could find. If you found some, or there's some nuances that alluding to things that uh, uh, I am unawares, please bring that up. So uh, let's open the scriptures and just uh, jump into Second Peter real quick and uh, and read some of that because it is some some cool stuff there. Anybody want to read for me? Only three chapters. I got it. Give me that first. Second Peter. Second Peter. Chapter one. I had it. But then my screen did this. Yeah, it'll come back. But maybe not right oh, there away. There it is. Um, Simon Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Jesus and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of simple desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provide you will be for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Okay, so uh, I I brought this up when we went through First Peter, but I'd, I'd like to just hear your thoughts. Uh, back in verse 1, to those who obtained a faith of equal standing without. I mean, doesn't that just beg two groups? Or yep. other groups? Clearly. So, yeah. So, yeah, so who's, the, who's the ours? To those who obtained a faith of equal standing without. Like, well, you know, Noah, you know, you're Faith was just a little, uh, little jabby there. Yeah. Oh no, no! Now it's of equal faith with ours. It's this is the we and them kind of scenario. So who's the we? Who's the them? And who are they? I do think that this is right to Gentiles in this particular book. I think First Peter is for the Jews, but I think the Second Peter that obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Ours being Jews. Because he is a Jew. There he is, and, and the apostle to the. Jews. Jews, so. Well, wouldn't that mean that he was writing to Jews as well, saying ours? 
Oh, uh, like you mean you to, mean he's not he's not writing to only Gentiles. Well, like not addressing Gentiles directly. Well, that and, is direct, isn't that? Well, no, because it's he's saying ours, right? So he's saying like that's like you oh, sitting here in mine. this room, instead right? Of mine. Instead of okay. mine. Okay. No, I think it's referencing. I feel like Peter is re- is speaking uh, as a representative of a group, like the ours being me and all of the other believing Jews speaking to the Gentiles, because otherwise. Those who those who have obtained a faith of equal standing is group A, and ours is group B. The way this is compared, because it's an equal standing, so it's two right. different groups. Right. So the ours would would not be the people who he's writing to. No, 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 no. Yeah, that's not what he's saying. No, that is. All right. That is what I'm saying. Uh, like because those. I mean, if he was addressing those who obtained it of equal standing, it sounds odd to speak of them. Not like the people that are reading this. It, then he like like ours, right? He's saying that to is if you if you pictured him reading this, yeah, you would it would be a collective like those people that I'm talking about, not necessarily writing to, right? That's that was kind of the way I thought about it. Was where it's so like he's got that. people let me, he's let me, he's discussing, but then he's got people that he's discussing it with, and those are the people that are like him. Right, so let me, let me paint a picture and see okay. if I get it because I'm getting confused. Because <laughs> I thought I understood what you said, then he spoke, and I thought I understood what he said and thought it couldn't possibly be what you said, but you said it is what you said. And now I'm... I was lost before you got started with that. And there so. it is. So I'm thinking Paul, Peter's sitting here and he's got 13 Jews sitting behind him. Believing Jews, ah, to your point. Okay. And he's writing to this group of numbnuts like us. So he says to those. to those, to you guys here, who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, these guys behind me, hmm. by the righteousness of God and our Savior, Yeshua Messiah. Is that? That's how I read it. That's how you So it works. And I think that... Well, we, but you were not saying that? N- well, no. So... I wasn't saying that. I was. I was. What just, you I was thinking about it like that. If 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 you just pictured what the purpose of this letter was for, most of the time it was to be. I mean, in this specific case, he doesn't say read it out loud, you know. But if if you, I had pictured him writing to people who were also ministering to Gentiles, so he was writing this to his fellow Jews about those that they were ministering to who were non-Jews. Yeah, I think that's completely yeah, far-fetched. I, yeah. I, okay. What you said worked too. Yeah, that makes okay. sense. I don't know the prepositions, um, how they function in Greek. I, I, I would think in, in your case, Greg, I would feel like more like in a read of those who obtained a faith of equal standing mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. ours, mm-hmm. whereas the two, to me, indicates that they're the recipients. Exactly. Those are the recipients. I, I think you're right. But I, so I have a theory on this, and as to why... If, if I didn't like your theory from First Peter. No, but you'll like this one. All right. As having read Jude, yes. so we also which read is next. Week, which is yeah. next. I'm going to cheat just a little bit and just jump ahead to the tiny... I can't theory. believe you're jumping to the next yeah. book before we even got out of the first chapter. <laughs> <laughs> The reason I say that is actually just because, as you noted in your study, Jude is laced heavily with allusions to the Tanakh and Jewish mysticism, uh, Midrash. It's big time. Uh, huge, heavy stuff that most Gentiles be like, huh? Exactly. What was that in? Exactly. So, my theory, if you read these two books, they read 
almost identical. I mean, they actually quote each other practically at yeah. times. Yeah. So much so that some you know non-believers get freaked out by that. They go, they must have just been fakes because there's no way they could be written by two different people. My theory is this. About 40 years earlier, the Jerusalem Council had a problem. Gentiles were being made to convert to Judaism through circumcision or whatever else, to the, to the system right. of conversion. And they were being told that they had to do this in order to have a place in the world to come. So the Jerusalem Council got together and they decided, no, this is, this is not true. We don't agree with this. And they wrote a letter. And they sent it to the different communities to say, sure. don't do that. Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. Jude and 2 Peter are both addressing an, uh, an enemy, a threat, a traditionally viewed as Gnosticism, but regardless when you talk about it, it's a group of a, a opposing belief system that has issues with Yeshua and has issues with the Torah, very clearly. First John's dealing with them too. So if first or Second Peter is written to Gentiles by Peter, Jude, who's a brother of James, uh, who was the head of the Jerusalem Council, who is now deceased by this point in history, right. is writing to the Jews, I think this is two letters going to two different groups to cover the same issue. The About Jerusalem the Council, and my theory is, Council of Leaders got together, said this is a problem. Peter, you go right to your Gentile friends over here. You've been around longer than the rest of us. They actually know who you are. Jude's going to be a little more nuanced scene. People not recognize his name. Okay, Jude, you're taking care of the Jews. You send your letters out. Let's make sure that both sides understand what's going on, and you speak in the language that they can comprehend. That's my theory. I'm not going to argue with that theory. I, I actually like that theory. They probably, yeah, CC'd each other on that. It could be, yeah. That's exactly right. Okay, that's good. All right. Well, let's let's uh, let's keep reading. Finish that chapter out, verse uh, 12, twelve, Second Peter. <clears throat> Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by weight of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able to may be able at any time. To recall these things, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths we made when we made no, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His Majesty. For when He received honor and glory from the, God from God the Father, and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have a prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will, for which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but when spoke from God, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Nice to Thank you, sir. Um, so do you think that, uh, considering your theory as well, um, do you think that Peter was spending any time with John? I think so. John was the longest living apostle. We read his books last because... Well, we know he spent three and a half years with him. Uh, oh, for sure. But this is, this is quite a bit after that, right? So we're in... Uh, 60, 65, perhaps even 70, 
of the coming era. But I'm thinking that John and Peter are hanging in some way. Because John lasts, he writes uh, the Revelation in 95 of the coming era. And probably 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John shortly prior to that, maybe 90, 92. Um, so where's John now when Peter's writing this? Um, this reference to, the, to hearing the voice on the mountain. He doesn't say, I heard the voice. He said, we heard the voice. And Joshua's right. There's three guys on that mountain, and one of them is already dead. It was Peter, James, and John, was it not? Well, that was a different James that I was referencing earlier, but yes, I think he's also dead at this right? point. He's dead. So, when he says, we heard the voice, he can't know. possibly be meaning, we all heard the voice. It's we. Me and me and Johnny. Which I think is significant considering what we're about to read after Jude. Well, you get some interesting language here too that reminds me a lot of um, of First John who talks about we are eyewitnesses of his majesty. Mm -hmm. They both really key in on that. Um, which is interesting because so this is, as you're pointing out, 30, 40 years after Yeshua's resurrection. Yeah. So that's essentially a whole generation. I mean, think about it today. Um, uh, we actually have people who say the Holocaust never happened. Exactly. We actually have physical monuments to it because the concentration camps were all torn down. The point is, people just 80 years later are saying, no, it didn't happen. Didn't happen. Had never no happened. idea. Trebonica? No yeah. idea. Auschwitz? Yeshua no is, no, no, this no, no, is, is in the pre-internet, pre-airplane travel era, Yeshua, arguing that Yeshua wasn't who he said he was, or that those things didn't happen, would be even easier yeah. in that time frame. So Peter and John here are really emphasizing it. I saw this. I, I saw this. Yep. I didn't hear about it. I didn't try to figure it out by looking at you know every third letter in the scriptures. I personally saw this in my own eyes. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's a powerful thing, being a physical witness. Who wants to reach out to two? I got it. Please. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who, brought them, who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. 
But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as, their, as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the, in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, revealing in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. Accursed children, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs in midst driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the word of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Yeshua HaMashiach, they are again entangled with them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after wa sow. And the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Thank you. So yeah, you need to wonder why Peter really doesn't let, cut loose and really say what he's thinking. Holy cow. Um, what is a sow? It's a female pig. <laughs> Yes, he did just refer to these people as female pigs and yeah. talked about dogs returning to their own vomit. <clears throat> and those are the nice things he said about Those them. are the nice yeah. things. So we're going back up further. So reference here that I think is brilliant in this passage is Balaam. Yeah. So Balaam, um, if you read the description of these people, they, they apparently, these individuals he's dealing with, um, they're, uh, uh, they apparently promote immorality and are very greedy, so they must be doing something for money as part of their, I mean, they're some sort of weird traveling evangelists who get paid for their services and that happens now, are telling people, you know, God really wants you to be you, to be free, to and do whatever you feel like you need to do. And to give me money. And you know what? Yeah, for a small fee, I yes. help unlock that potential. <laughs> That's right. Um, and anyway, so the point is, they, they are selling them um, immorality, really. They're, they're basically de denying uh, the mitzvot, as specifically seems to be focusing on uh, sexual things. Yeah. But what's fascinating about that is that's exactly what Balaam does. If we go back to the story of Balaam, he, he betrays the children of Israel for money. And what he does is he tells the Midianites, you know what? I you, can't curse God. Use the girls. But if you can get God to curse them for you yeah. by making them disobey... That's, that's your plan of, at, of attack. And Balaam's an even better example because at the end of this chapter, what does Second Peter say? He says that these people are the worst of the worst, not because they started badly, but because they experienced godliness. They were part of the community. Right. Then they went way off the deep end. Balaam is a prophet who experiences the Spirit of God. Balaam has experienced the God of Israel. That's right. He knows him, and yet he denies him. And that, I think, is, it's just, I mean, he's not the only reference to Balaam they're going to get um, in these passages, but <coughs> he's just such a brilliant um, foil here. And like all good Jews, P 
Peter really despises Balaam. Read the Midrash. Oh, they yeah, can't it's, stand it's, the guy. That's bad stuff. Uh, so um, just a, you know, a little uh, side note, just to, you know, kind of get you more interested in the original languages. Um, if you look in verse 3, in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. What a cool word. False is uh, plastos. We get the word plastic, and uh, it means molded. So they've actually fashioned the words and molded them into what they want them to be to convince you to what they want you to believe. Plastos. It's the first reference to plastic we've ever had. And then, you know, China just to go. I'm kind of excited about verse 2. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. I mean, I think the way of truth is is the Torah, is the way of truth. Yeah. And it, it made me think about what so many people now, you know, just throw out the Torah. That's the old thing that we don't you have, to have to worry about. So, and actually, I've asked somebody before, I said... Why do you despise the Torah? Yeah. And they're like, this, I don't despise the Torah. What do you mean? I love God's word. And I'm, I'm thinking this is this is kind of what this is addressing. It's it's saying uh, because of them, the way people will be blasphemed. It's, it's like they're despising the Torah. Yeah, I think you're right. And that causes me, from that verse forward, it causes me to think of all the people that created this theology hundreds and over a thousand years ago it, it almost and well even at that time it was it was happening at that time that's why he's addressing it there. yeah but uh that so you toss the torah we're, we're not under law anymore we're under grace yeah yeah and, and, it and is, i think that's what the sensuality i almost feel like that's referring to doing what pleases us what feels good even more than it just being a sexual thing it's more of just lust whatever pleases me, yeah, I'm, I'm molding the yeah. word so that I can do what I want. Well, that's where I was going with the plastic thing. Is, yeah, and is, so the, the verse that, 3 is saying, yeah. is just continuing. And, and we see that today. You try to have a, a logical argument with someone and say, hey, wait a second. I am not trying to condemn you for not keeping the Sabbath or the festivals or eating kosher or anything like that. But you're throwing the Torah under the bus, thinking that I'm being legalistic. But you're saying that what God said doesn't matter. The fact that he said it, and said it would last, like, forever, throughout your generations, till eternity, till heaven and earth pass away. I can go on and on. Just let me know when you mind it. Uh, and he himself doesn't change. <laughs> so... I don't get it. So you're worshiping on Sunday because the Sabbath doesn't work for you? Because your friends are there on Sunday? Because I, I'm not trying to be argumentative. I'm not trying to, you know, condemn you or, or make you feel bad. I'm just I'm just trying to figure out how you're molding. Well, the plastic what says that I can I I'll take my Sabbath as long as I take it one day of the week. You know, I'll, yeah, that's you. Oh, that's right. You won't be here because you're, it's your Sabbath. No, that's right. Really? I thought your Sabbath was on Saturday. No. 
I don't have a Sabbath. God does, though. And his <laughs> is on the seventh day. And, yeah, he told me to rest on his. It's, it's his day. So it's always actually been his day. Even when it says in the apostolic scripture, it was the Lord's day. What day do you think that was? Sunday. <laughs> really? Well, you might be right, I guess. You guess right or wrong. You know, yeah, right? Yes, sir. Um, and to your point early as well, at the end of the chapter, he talks about the way of righteousness. Yeah. Having, uh, and after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment, um, it's common in Jewish writings to refer to the entire Torah as the mitzvah, well, the we've, commandment. We've already seen that. Yeah. yeah. Paul does that at least twice. So, know, so Peter seems making a similar reference here. Um, so this is very clearly a violation of Torah um, that he's focusing on. And to your comment about the plastic words, it reminds me of, um, reminds me of Solomon. Because Solomon runs into the same problem. You know, Solomon reads the passage and it says, don't do, the don't king, multiply wives to yourself. The, the because king shall not multiply they'll, wives. They'll lead away your, your heart. And he goes, but if it won't lead away my heart, then it's okay. And, uh, <laughs> That's it. And, it, and of course, he thought he knew better right. than God. He did not. He um, did not. Yeah, and, he uh, and he did exactly what the scripture said not to do. They exactly. let him start away. So are we, we kind of in agreement here that Peter is promoting Torah keeping and Torah as a standard for his audience? Who are? Who we, most of us, determined <laughs> were Gentiles. Because we have a faith that is, what did he say? On par with or equal standing, equal standing with his and those with him. So, I mean, I, personally, I think this is a, like a, a little, little slam dunk with a swoosh right here at the end of the apostolic scriptures that I didn't expect to see. But it, it appears to be that because as Todd's pointed out, if you're molding these words, you're moving away from the Torah. And as you pointed out, you're violating the commandment. So, Peter's reference to Paul, I guess we'll read it in a second, um, is, uh, is another evidence to me that he's writing to Gentiles. Because they would, they would be particularly familiar, I would assume, with, with Paul's teachings. Sure, yeah. And we, I, I just assume, I, this may be wrong because I don't know that we have any evidence, but I'm just assuming that as Peter's speaking on, on the day of uh, Shavuot, Pentecost, and now, 50 years later, 40 years later, um, everything he's been teaching is consistent with what Paul has been teaching. I, I wouldn't imagine that there would be a different teaching for you, the Jew, versus him, the Gentile, because he says we have... A faith that's of equal standing is the same, same deal, yeah. right? So, I, I don't know if I'm begging the question, having come into this saying, well, what about me? I'm the Gentile. What, how am I supposed to practice? But I'm not seeing anything so far in First Peter or now up to in, into Second Peter that indicates that Paul was teaching something that was wildly different. Well, that there seems to be that assumption that you're a Gentile. You don't know diddly. You're going to need to hear Moses every week, and you need to be following the traditions I gave you and studying the Torah. Is 
by basically where he was coming from. And well, we have about four books left, I think, and mm -hmm. I have yet to read the, the chapter that says the Torah was not made for Gentiles. Jesus did away with all that, and you can start over now. Or, or better. Now, don't forget that magic book we gave you. Right. Read yeah. that. Read that magic maybe, book. Maybe it's in the apocrypha, so we're going to get that. One. That's right. But yeah. um, oddly enough, I First haven't found entrance. it yet. Right. It's good. Um, although, uh, speaking of apocrypha, it's mentioned in Jude. That's right. We're going to get there. It, well, it is. It is to your point. Peter equates. I mean, oftentimes you think of blasphemy mm -hmm. as speaking against God mm -hmm. or speaking against Yeshua. But he is definitely using blasphemy in this specific chapter for speaking against Torah. Against the Word of God, that's right. Against the Word of God. Yeah. So, I mean, he is, he's really upping the ante yeah, there. I, I noticed that, too. He's elevating uh, the concept of denigrating God by not just denigrating his person or his personality, but his very words. Yeah. And that's... I think that's a pretty Jewish concept because... You are what you speak, your your words have life, etc. You know? It made me think of the great drosh we heard about that particular commandment in the Ten Commandments from a friendly rabbi who talked about that it's not a matter of just taking the Lord's name in vain, meaning your idle speech. It's literally taking, taking with, you with you in your right. actions the Lord's name in vain. And that is essentially what he's saying here. Because yeah. all of this is action-based, right? Like all this this lust and sensuality and doing your own thing. Yeah. And so it's like, he's basically saying, the minute you say, I'd rather do this over Torah, you just blaspheme the Torah, basically. Yeah. yeah. Which is, which is a scary, scary. Yeah. Well, very clearly scary. That's another thing I think is interesting here. In this book, yeah, uh, he's, not, than John, he's not pulling any punches. Well, he's not. Did you notice who his opponents are? First John, we get a lot of references to Yeshua and teachings about Yeshua. Christians are very comfortable with all of that because right. it's like, right, we're a theological-based faith, and yeah. if you don't believe even, like we do, you're going to burn in hell. Even <laughs> though there's more references to keeping the commandments of God in First John than any other book in the Absolute Right, this is also true. But in but Second Peter, the references to Yeshua are very few when in terms of like theological references. Yeah, that's true. Peter's not saying these guys are really scary because they're teaching the wrong thing about Yeshua. He's saying these guys are really scary because they're teaching the wrong thing about obedience to God. His focus is on action almost exclusively. It, it, true, because I think back to our beginning preface, the people he's writing to, he knows already have the faith. Right. Salvation is not an issue he needs to discuss. It's practice. But he's also not warning them against false teaching about Yeshua necessarily. His focus, right. My point is that as strong as he is, Heresy, blasphemy. These are these are really intense yeah, words. He's thing. comparing them to the top villains in all of Scripture. Yeah, and they're people who don't keep the Torah. Like that's their calling card. Yeah, this, yeah. these are not people who are out there going, you know, that they're denying Yeshua necessarily. Although he mentions that maybe briefly, but his focus is on our actions. Yep, yeah, that's exactly right. All right, I'm going to bring this one home here. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up by your sincere mind. I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. That is, uh, yeah. Um, sincere is, is normally studied in 2 Timothy, but because uh, it talks about the sincere faith. Uh, but it has to do with wax. I'll get into it in a minute. Uh, that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. 
That's why we call them scoffers, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact. The uh, apologist, uh, uh, Genesis apologist uh, that's in jail. What's his name? He's out with Ken Hoven. Ken Hoven. Did he get out? Well, I've heard him in an interview where he was out. Yeah, I mean, he was from that jail sentence. He's, he's out. out. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I like Ken Hoven. <laughs> Anyway, he, he got tax evasion thing. It was really pretty bizarre. Anyway, um, he says, For they deliberately overlook this fact. Kent Hovind says, That means they're dumb on purpose. That the heavens existed long ago, and the earth formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. We're planning on going into a uh, uh, eschatological uh, class um, after, uh, after we finish up, and uh, this is going to come into play here. So what are they dumb on purpose about? The flood. Flood never happened. I know so many people that believe this, that don't believe that the flood ever happened. Insanity. Yep. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. For the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, the cause of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish, and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these letters. You know, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. He just called Paul's letters scripture. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless, Torahless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Yeshua HaMashiach. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. That's such a great way to end, too, because that he's... Uh, equating <clears throat> growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior with being one that practices righteousness. That's right. That's what he's reviewed the whole book, but then how does that happen? It's growing the grace and knowledge of the person who did it perfectly. That's exactly right. And following his example. Yep. Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. What, when you hear, when you hear spot and blemish, 
what immediately comes to mind. What kind of language is that? Offerings. Yeah, it's temple language, right? The, all of the offerings, the animal offerings, had to be without spot or blemish. So, you know, we go back to Paul's comment that we should be living sacrifices. Like a peace offering. Exactly. It's exactly. And at peace. Yeah. And we want to be at peace. So yeah. uh, we want to be at peace with both God and with man, right? Yeah. While we were reading this this time, all of a sudden it flashed in my mind. We're talking about um, the earth made of water and mm -hmm. then the deluge of water. Flood. And it made me think of Mount Carmel when the sacrifice was... Well, it just kept pouring water. water and water and water yeah. on the sacrifice, and then it was burned up. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. The fire licked up even the water and the sacrifice and everything. It's making my mind go crazy trying to see what's the parallel. What's the yeah. parallel? Yeah. <laughs> Is there something deeper in that? Well, I, I think the fire, the, that fire will come down from heaven is, is a big part of this, you know. Um, whether we, uh, we help with the fire and the melting and the burning with nuclear uh, disaster or whatnot really doesn't matter. I think heavenly well, bodies, burning of heavenly bodies is, is hard to do from Earth. I don't <laughs> figure out how to do that one yet. Give Elon a chance. Um, <laughs> but I think that when you read this passage, it's funny because you know, some I remember reading from some secular writer that was like, you know, Peter's horrific apocryphal vision of the end of everything, and it's like obviously this, you know, what must have been written hundreds of years later because it doesn't line up at all with the rest of the Bible. It's like, I guess they forgot to read Isaiah sixty-six, yeah, in which this is exactly how it's described. Exactly. Or. Uh, Paul's reference in, uh, I was thinking, 1 Corinthians, where it talks about the idea of everything will be burned up and your works, you know, whatever's yeah. not burned Wood, up. Wood, hay, and stubble. Right. Yep. Yeah, so this is, um, yeah. Peter's, as, 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 as much as Peter is focusing on it a little more expansively than others, um, it's not out of step. Well, I, I think we should remember that, and we talked about this before, that all these guys expected that when the master disappeared, up into the clouds, they for all seem to firmly have believed that within their lifetime, he would come back. And Peter seems to be um, recognizing that might not happen in, in his, his lifetime. lifetime. Yeah. And this comment about God's patience, uh, I, I think it, to me it means more coming from him. Sure. Because this guy who spent, like you pointed out, 40 years preaching the same message, expecting any day now that God's going to come back and yeah. it's going to all... And, and it didn't. So if anybody who could speak to the patience of God... Yeah. But he's not lamenting it. No. He seems to be using it like a father. Like mm -hmm. like I would write to my kids and say, okay, you know, hit in the 60s now. Okay, in the 70s now. So remember what I taught you. He's coming back. It won't be in my lifetime. I told you when you were kids. It would not be in my lifetime. But it will be... In your lifetime. So, do all the right things. <laughs> exactly right. Okay. I mean, yeah, that was good. All right, other Point comments on Second Peter before we move on? Did I have questions in the thing? Um, okay, we talked about that. Prediction of the Holy Prophets. Where Peter reminds us in chapter 3 about the predictions of the Holy Prophets. He mentioned one. Any others?
Joel. Joel's big on the fire thing. Joel chapter Zechariah two. Zechariah's good. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Right. Interesting enough, he references they have Lord to come like a thief. That's actually a comment from Yeshua. Yep. Yep. Peter does like commenting. I think quoting from Yeshua. I believe he saw that in First Peter as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Good. So there's there's a lot. Right. So. You had another comment in the corner. Yes, sir. Um, I, again, with the water thing, I think that a lot of people would say, well, if the earth was made, was formed out of water, that just doesn't sound like any science that we observe. Um, but there, I'll try to make this as quick as I can. There's a, there's a scientist, I can't remember if it was Jet Propulsion Laboratories or one of those really famous, well-known laboratories that was a Christian. Mm-hmm. He studied this and figured out that if the earth was originally made of water, Mm-hmm. And if all the molecules were all in a straight line with mm-hmm. each other when it was first created, and then it was released, all the molecules going every which way would create uh, an electromagnetic field. Mm-hmm. And then if that was done 6,000 years ago, it would wind down to about what the Earth has right now. So mm-hmm. it, was, it was okay. so precise that he predicted what... Uranus and Neptune's electromagnetic fields were going to be before we ever sent a probe there. And he was, when, when he got there, his prediction was accurate. Everybody else's predictions were, were not. He was the only one that had predicted that electromagnetic field based on that same theory that he worked on. I, it might have been based on Peter. I'd have to go back yeah, and, be. and listen to that again. Um, so the, cool. the, the concept, and Kent Hoban talks about this, that there was a water ice canopy around the earth, you know, that um, the barometric pressure was amazingly high. We use barometric pressure chambers now for athletes who are, you know, have too much money to even think about it and get hurt and, you know, go into the chamber and they're healed in moments, you know, kind of thing. Um, but Kent Hovind is, is a big proponent of the fact that the barometric pressure was very high. That's why people lived so long. That's why they were so strong. And there was a canopy of ice, water, around the planet. And when we read in Genesis that the waters above and the waters below the earth broke open, you know, it's, it's, it's all a big water game. So um, now we have the theme park. So, yeah. Good. Good. That's cool. Hmm. See if you can find me his name. I'd love to read about him. I never thought about that with the relation to a barometric, the barometric pressure. Yeah. So once the canopy was gone, the pressure was lower, and people didn't live as long. Right. You know, um, I've got all of Kent Hovind's stuff someplace. Um, it's like eight or nine one-hour lectures or forty-minute lectures and whatnot. And he's got this, I, I would say, an odd meter to his uh, to his voice and. And the way he says water is always kind of weird to me, but uh, he's fascinating to listen to, and I've not found anything that he's ever said uh, with regard to the scriptures that I disagreed with. I always wondered why man lives so long. And I know we had the understanding of the waters above and below, but never really understanding scientifically why we would have people living so long and why Man was so strong, but to have it from that yeah, it was point pretty, of view, it was pretty cool. If there's actually, if if the Earth was actually suspended within a ball of ice, and the ice was beyond the sky, right, and now it's pressurized, 
it makes perfect sense. And then all that water comes down. Could you imagine that the state of your body was used to being inside that barometric pressure and how over time, as a young lad at 100 years old, you were amazingly strong, robust, but, and but you wouldn't think you were because you were everybody's like that. This everybody's like that. It would be afterwards that somebody like Noah or Shem would be like, I can't lift this wind here. I don't get it. This, yeah. <laughs> I built this boat. Now I can barely. I can barely stairs. row the thing. What's yeah. up with that, man? Yeah. No, come study this boat. Yeah, sure. <laughs> oh. His name is Russell Humphreys, PhD. Got it. Thank you. That's how can we as Gentiles understand how to live a life of holiness and godliness? Does Peter not assume that we would know how to do so? I mean, he says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of Torahlessness, people, and lose your own stability. Isn't he not implying that we would know how to live the life that he's describing and not to live, as you pointed out so many times now, the lack of Torah focus that these other villains had. I'm not seeing another reference, another book, you know, get the Zohar, get, you know, get the Book of Mormon out and, you know, get your act together. I like how highly Lot is spoken of. Here. <laughs> to Joshua's point, that was the other thing that was like, man, this is very, this is a traditional understanding of scripture. Because when you, I mean, that's typically Christians have a bit, pretty poor view of okay. Lot because Lo- of this Lo- description. Gets thrown under the bus. Right, because of the description in the Torah about him. Yeah. But don't, it, don't Jews kind of see him as kind of sketchy too? Mm. Not no. as often. Okay. There's, there's some, his, it, it his really depends. His soul was vexed, they say. Yeah. Okay, so I get it. He, divided on that he, one. He yeah. moved closer to them so that he could minister to them, so that he could be an influence on them and all that. And it's, you know, that that's the majority opinion. That's why as I've read it, you know, Midrash. I think they do ding the decision of moving moving away from Abraham. Was but a I don't big know if they ding mistake. his his being there as much. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, very. That's, yeah, but that's, that's a good point. Well, Jude, just moving to the next book. Um, Jude, Jude is all over that kind of thing. I mean, he's got these references. I mean, in, in one verse, he references Cain, Balaam, and Korah. Mm. I mean, I remember when I was a young kid, and I don't know if you, for those of you who've read the uh, King James Version, uh, Korah in that one is just spelled K-O-R-E. And for the longest time, I'm like, Kor? who is this? <laughs> you know, I'm imagining Korah's rebellion, and it's like, it sounds like some sort of Star Wars event or something. Yeah. I'm just like, what? We have Khan, then Korah. It's very confusing. Um, <laughs> wasn't until much later that I was like, oh, Korah. Korah. Got you. Yeah. Yeah. It's the E with the. Yep. But yeah, he. Um, another great reference because, of course, Cain, being brother of Abel, so he uh, turns away from God at a time when, well, the only people on the planet were all serving God. That's so right. That's he's right. leaving the community. We already talked about Balaam. Korah, of course, is the uh, is the example of someone who rejects Moses. The choice of God. The choice of God, but is from inside the people. Again, yeah. I mean, that's the thing that's kind of scary. And Jude's references, none of these guys are people who are like, oh well, they were already they were hell bent from the beginning. I mean, these are all people who at some point are, are kind of known for having a connection to God. Yeah, yeah. All right, who wants to read through that? 
Judas. That's his name. Oh. Judas. Would you like? Yeah. Or Judas. most likely Yehuda. In Hebrew. That would be in Hebrew. I'm trying to give you the Greek. Trying to help you with the Greek. Judas. 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 Are you going to read for me? All right. Wait, you haven't practiced? Is that the problem? He's a great reader. Oh, I know he is. That's why I'm shocked he's not jumping up. I want you to read the entire book. Okay. <laughs> All the chapters. That's right. Every chapter <laughs> of Judas. Actually, this translation, it could be Yoda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was Cora. Could be Yoda. Could be Yoda. Could be Yoda. That's great. Yeah, that's good. Since K O R E is Cora, <laughs> this could be Judah or Yoda. Yoda. Okay. Yoda. <laughs> no, okay. Uh, Judas, a servant. Judas? Judas. 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 Okay. Judas, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our, com- uh, about our common salvation. Let's pause there. This is the same thing Peter did, right? Hmm. Right? Same deal. We got a common salvation. Common implies two or more. So, again, you've got what is a Jewish man, and he is writing about a common our common salvation. I really like the way both of these guys in their first couple of verses tell us how we, I think, tell us how we should be a part of the greater body of Messiah. And you know, our summary class is going to really focus on that. That it appears that it's not Jews and Gentiles but as we read in Ephesians, you know, we're one in Messiah. And that one is neither Jew or Greek, Scythian or slave. And there is a common salvation. Common in that we are all one and common in the same way that we got there. Not by being Jewish, not by living in a land, but by faith in Messiah Yeshua. Go ahead. Common salvation. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to con- contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed and unno- unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to... Re- he says he's appealing to us. That is the same word used for the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. It's Parakalah. So he's coming alongside and, and making this argument. That's, that's where, This is a personal thing now, right? This is not just a, a speech towards people. He's actually trying to imply in the Greek that this is a personal... Let's, let's sit down and talk about this. This is really important, okay? That's where, that's where this is, is coming from. Good. I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroying, after the afterward destroyed those who did not believe. So, this is the first time in the Scripture that we recognize that the Redeemer of mankind was evidently the Redeemer from Egypt. That is an astonishing fact. We've heard that it was the Rock that went with them in the wilderness. And the rock was Yeshua. Here, he redeemed them from Egypt. 
that is a theological wow moment if you didn't notice it. When in time was this book written? This was written after Second Peter, so you're looking at any time. I mean, the, the you know, we're going to assume I'm, I'm struggling putting us any past 70 um, because it's hard to believe that a writer, a Jewish writer, would write and not mention the temple having been destroyed. Plus, with the turmoil after 66 of the Common Era, when the Jews rebelled against Rome, it's hard to believe that letters would get out that could be saved and preserved. Um, in 95, what's his name? Uh, John is on the Isle of Patmos, in a salt mine, having already been boiled in oil alive. So he's already outside the land. And when he writes, he writes to the seven churches that are right on the other side of the water. They're on the mainland. So the idea that Jude could get, or a letter that he wrote would be written within the land in the turmoil with the Romans and still be preserved, it's hard to believe. So I'm going to put it at, you know, sometime before 70, but right around there, 69 of the common year. I'm finding this very bold of someone to write. Oh, yeah. We have no that question Jesus, about Jesus, not Hashem. Right. But that but Jesus, Yeshua himself redeemed them from Egypt. I mean, you you got to know the people around you at all times. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but again, well, he is uh, extrapolating and expanding on the concept. There's a Jewish tradition surrounding the Exodus that's, that's uh, very, very interesting. I mean... The Exodus itself, the the Passover, is they make a big deal about God, not an angel. So right. that is referencing Hashem specifically. But in terms of the uh, the Exodus experience, the references to the the cloud and the fire. Um, that's afterwards. That's but, what I say. Even Paul goes and says he was the rock. Right. When him in the wilderness. My only thing is to say that like all of those references get tied in with the. Um, there's a lot of Jewish mysticism yeah. around. The angel, the angel and, the and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that my, my point to somebody being is that um, while Jude is being very bold here and he's expanding on this concept, he's not just plucking this out of thin air no, granted. and saying... But he is moving earlier in the story mm -hmm. than I've ever heard. Is, it, is Yeshua's name actually in the Greek there? Because uh, there's some uh, manuscripts that say Lord. Jesus. Okay. Yepper, Jesus, a Jewish Christian. <laughs> Is that actually what it says? Oh, here. <laughs> yep. Oh, my. Let's see. Who, wait, let me see which, which, who said this. That is it. That's Mounts. Mounts in his Greek dictionary. A Jewish Christian. A Jewish Christian. Jesus was the first one. <laughs> yes, that's right. What was his last name? He's my homeboy. Yeah, it's funny. His, his last name was of Nazareth. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Bring it home, brother. And, Six. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So... Do we need to, or do we want to go into that? Does anybody, anybody, anybody? 
No, we just moving on there. Okay. Eight. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, "The Lord rebuke you." All right. So you can't pass over that one. All right. So who didn't die? Name people in the Bible who didn't die. If you say Lazarus, you lose. Enoch. Enoch didn't die. Elijah. Enoch walked with God and then was not. Elijah did not die. He was taken up in a fiery chariot, left his cloak or his mantle for uh, Elisha. Yeshua, wrong, he died. <laughs> did Moses die? Yes. yes. Where is he buried? We don't know. Who buried him? God. God. God buried him. Hmm. So, in 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 Judaism, burial is very important. The uh, what do you call it uh, when you when you when you when you get uh, cremation is is not a good thing in Judaism. If you get burned up, that's not a problem. But Judaism teaches that if you deliberately cremate yourself or have yourself cremated, you, the resurrection is not a part of you. You've got to wait till after the millennium. They're, they're really against that. You, you've been given this body. You need to care for it. So the burial rites, the, the, the linen, yeah, the, the linen garment and all of that, uh, uh, that we wear on Yom Kippur and everything. So the idea that... You were a kiddo for burial? Yeah. That's all I get. Right? So when we read in another book or two about all these guys dressed in fine white linen, hmm. hmm. So... I'm, I'm, I don't want to jump ahead. I think it's a bad habit. But we're going to read about two witnesses, and we're going to gloss over it pretty quickly in Revelation chapter 11. Um, but you, know, you can argue about who those two witnesses are and what they do, uh, but they do miracles. And if we look at those miracles, they look just like the miracles that were done by Moses and Elijah. Moses represents what to the Jewish people? Torah. He's the Torah giver. Who is the prophet? Elijah. So you've got the law and the prophets witnessing to the lost and to the demonic uh, powers in, in the last days. That's amazing. Well, if Elijah never died, I'm assuming God knows where his body is. Moses did die, was buried by God, and evidently now there's some type of dispute over who gets his Is body. Is this reference to the Book of Enoch? I think so, but I haven't read it in a while. I think that's where he's getting that from. I mean, uh, I mean he's not making it up. Yeah, right. The, the, the Midrash. That's one of the beautiful things about Midrash. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. It's about telling, making a point. Exactly. Um, 
but it's interesting because this reads just like if you're reading the commentary in one of your in your cool yeah much, the midrash yeah and right your, or your the cool much yeah tends to have all this parenthetical stuff that's right and I can just read it you know and and God buried and 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 Moses died there on the mountain. And God buried Moses, but before he did, first, the uh, archangel angel Michael had an argument with the devil about where to put where the body. Where to put the body, right. Who's going to hold on to it? Yeah. All right, verse 10, sir. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walk in the way of Cain and abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's rebellion. Woohoo. There are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, while waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Okay, so a couple things. Um, unreasoning animals um, is... Is, is kind of uh, just a cool um, phrase I just wanted to share with you real quick. Because when you get into um, Revelation, you've got these these four living creatures, right? With the head of the lion and the man and the bear and the ox and all that kind of stuff. And you see that in the prophets as well. Right? Ezekiel talks about that. Um, so it, trying to figure out, okay, so the living creatures, four living creatures that it talks about in Ezekiel, and Isaiah, is, is, is that the same living creatures that John is talking about? And what is that word or words? What's, what, what is that? So uh, living creatures, no such thing in Greek. Living creatures is one word, zoon. You get zoag, zoe, that's life. Zoon is living creatures. It's a living creature, zoon. This is neat. What kind of creatures are these? These are, or animals. What kind of animals, zoon, are these? Unreasoning. You know what the word is? A-lagos. Non-word. They don't have the word. No word. A-lagos. How cool is that? Say again. In uh, verse 10. 10, it ends by talking about uh, these are like unreasoning animals. Yeah, Elagos. Not Lagos. Not logical. Word. Yeah, Lagos being word. Like word. In, in John chapter 1, yeah. the word was with God. And the word was with God. They don't have the word. Elagos. So they're creatures without the word. I think it was zombie. But hey, what do I know? Alright. Move on. Let's talk about Enoch. Enoch, Enoch. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of, of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and all that. And of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud enough boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. Is it possible that he could use the word ungodly in any other way in that paragraph even one more time? 
<laughs> Holy cow. Un convict the ungodly of their ungodliness in that they did in an ungodly way. You know what? They're ungodly sinners. <laughs> Gee whiz. But if they're a logos, well, that makes sense. And there they might be atheists. <laughs> Ooh, I like it. I like atheists. All right, 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They say to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God while waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of, their fi out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even garment and stained by the flesh. Okay. Sounds a lot like our recent re readings about Zarat in the Torah yeah. portion. Yeah, love, the garment. love the person, get the garment out. That's good. So, um, keep yourselves in the love of God. How do you understand that you do that, gentlemen? First John, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's what I was thinking. I like it. Jumping ahead, but yeah, it seems to be a regular thing in his class. Yeah, this week, reading these passages, it means in the past, I always thought the love of God, as in keep yourself in God's love. But now I'm wondering, maybe it should be read, keep yourself in the love of God, as in loving God. Like, don't stop loving God. Right. It's not, it's not that you need to keep believing that he's loving you. Right. But you need to demonstrate that you do love him. Since right. he loved you first, then it's your turn. Right. Yeah, I like that. I like that. That's good. Because otherwise it kind of comes off like some sort of, like, you know, that Christian... Psychoanalysis words like wait on God. just gotta buy this life. That's right. Yeah. I mean it. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. Before you finish. Snatching them out of the fire. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. What in the world is he talking about? I just heard it of um Okay. Ah. Were they snatched? Well, well, they were led. <laughs> they were led. Hmm. I was thinking of um, James chapter five, the end. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude, multitude of, of sins. sins. That's good. That's good. I like the reference. Great reference. That's good. Um, are, are you familiar with Harpazo? Yeah. I mean, the, the Marx Brothers. That's right. It was Mo, Larry, and Harpazo. That's right. Um, Harpazo is the for snatching here. Um, but you probably don't know the Greek Harpazo. You know the Latin for Harpazo. Rapture. This is the same word that's used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17. And those who are alive and remain will be raptured, caught up, snatched up. Harpazo. They'll be caught up together to be with the Lord, with them, to be with the Lord. That's the word. So we're supposed to do the same thing, 
snatching them out of the fire. I'm just thinking of uh, one of those GT Express tapes or something like that back in that day when um, I can't remember who the, who the comedian was, but he was like, yep, the Raptor's coming on my way up. I'm just going to grab two sinners around the neck and just hold on to them as we're going up and say, hey, you're going to believe him. I let him go. <laughs> Snatched up. That's it. That's a smart way to go. That's it. Snatching them out of the fire. Jew 24, sir. Bring it home. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. 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 So that word blameless, I, I have always thought is an extraordinarily important uh, word. Um, we normally focus on the word not at the end of the stock scriptures, but at the beginning, because we, if you, I mean, if you're in this type of a Torah walk, then you recognize and understand that it is actually possible to be blameless according to the Torah, as Paul said that he was, because there were other people that were blameless according to the Torah. Name one or two. Hannah. 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 Doesn't say she was, but I'm going to assume she was. Zachariah and Elizabeth. Zachariah and Elizabeth. Bam. They, those are the main two. We assume Joseph is the same way. He's a slightly different uh, um, verse or version for him. Um, but yeah, Zachariah and Elizabeth were blameless, both of them, according to the Torah. Does that mean they didn't sin? No, it means that the Torah could not place any blame on them because they did everything that the Torah said to do. And if they did something against the Torah, they did what the Torah said to make it right. They were without blame. Mm. Jude is saying that that's how we are supposed to present ourselves. It's up to us to be blameless. Blameless implies, demands a standard by which blame is assigned. After all this, could it be anything other than the Torah? There we go. So, as far as I'm concerned, that's the marching orders. Yeah. How, what's the standard of righteousness? Uh, uh, okay, how about the Torah? Good, good, good. All right, that was great. Let's see. I like the use of mercy here when he uh, in back in 21 Jude 21 where it says, "Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Messiah Yeshua, leads to eternal life." And have mercy on those who doubt. I think the the word mercy, and then again he says to others show mercy with fear. I, again, I was thinking of James two, where he says, um, "Judgment is without mercy mm. to the one who shows no mercy. Mercy right. triumphs over judgment." And it's just that's I, I, a lot of times the church will focus so heavily on the word grace, and for some reason I don't usually assume that grace is like a like a getting out of judgment, like the word mercy kind of implies. Right. Like you, you hear mercy and it's like, you had something coming to you and there you got shown mercy. Like even though you didn't deserve it, even though yeah. you should have had this sentence of judgment. Yeah. In, you know? in, in old England, when they were about to take your head off with one of those big long swords, you dropped your knees and begged for mercy. Mercy. Oh, not grace. Not grace, exactly. <laughs> Please, grace, grace. 
I mean, mercy, mercy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, but I, I think mercy. that that's that's it's an amazing word to be using here because not only are we are we thinking about that from our perspective of how Yeshua has has rescued us from the judgment and right. shown yeah. us mercy, but then that's what we do to others. Like you know, you know, grace, give, being gracious to other people, it doesn't mean they hurt you at all. But being merciful, back to James, it's, it's like. It, it's triumph, triumphing over judgment because there could be something that people do to you that is worthy of judgment. Right. But it's quite, our responsibility and, and to quite show frankly, mercy. Um, we see with uh, Abraham's interaction with the king. Who is this? Abimelech? Second king? Got all his orifices stopped up. The Pharaoh? Abimelech. It was? Mm-hmm. Um, what did God tell the king? You better ask him to pray for you. Mm-hmm. Or you're a deep dude. <laughs> Which can't happen right now because you're all stopped up. Sorry about that. <laughs> you know. um, yeah. Yeah. So it's the same kind of thing that there's a judgment due you. And without the prayer of that righteous man, he's a prophet. He will pray for you is the way the king is, is instructed. You know, if he doesn't pray for you, Mercy probably is not going to happen, but because there's judgment due on you, that kind of thing. That's that's an amazing concept. Thank you. I like that. Hmm. So I'm not going to be gracious anymore. I'm going to be merciful. That would be full of Dude. mercy. Yes, full of mercy. All right. In the last five minutes, let me just put in a plug that we have studied the entire book of First John previously. That's true. And had less, uh, lessons on each of the chapters that it's can true. be found on the audio for Minotaur if you go into the podcast. That's exactly right. I was going to jump right to the review question and ask, do you get the impression that John expects his recipients to understand what sin is? Well, as you pointed out earlier, he references the commandment Torlessness, obedience, not a new commandment that I write to you, but an old commandment you've had from the beginning, yep. um, and so on and so forth, over and over and over again. His standard is righteousness, um, and how what in righteousness looks like doing what God said, obeying His commandments, acting like God acted, or God would act. Um, and I haven't found a description of God's commandments other than the Torah. So, to your point as well, before when we were asking about how do you be in the love of God? Yeah. In First uh, John chapter two, verse five, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. That's right. And he goes on to kind of expound upon that again after that. You're right. Um, I pulled up at the bottom the last thing in the chapter here, First John five two and three. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God. And obey his commandments. That's interesting to me, and I think it's absolutely backwards. How do you know that I love you? Because you I love God and obey his commandments. To me, that's odd. He goes on, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. To me, this is a big slam dunk if you're talking to somebody in the church. Because they're going to have to squirm with what the commandments are, 
or which commandments we're talking about or something like that. But I don't, I don't, I don't think I understand the beginning of that verse. It only makes sense if you assume that obey his commandments is a specific description of what love looks like. Which, which is what he just went through, saying love is keeping the commandments. Right, but, but keeping the commandments, like, so if you read, by this we know that we love the children of God, and we love God and obey his commandments. If God's commandments are things like build a parapet around your balcony so that people won't fall off and die, and or if, There's love. If, if, you know, if I borrow his mower and I break it, I have to buy him a new one. Plus 5.0. That's love too. Well, or, unless he's with me, then in which case, you know. Is there an, but. You should have known better. <laughs> if, if love is not gleaning all the way to the corners of the earth. Right. I mean, that's so many. How about your enemy's donkey falls over? You should go and help Gotta him. help The him. point is, love is described over and over and over again in detail in the Torah. And, but this and, verse. And didn't the master say the same thing? Right. He talks about. I mean, what is love? How do I love my neighbor? He tells a story. He, he points him right back. Leviticus 19 and 20 is where he spent most of his time. Kedoshim, which we're studying, is where he's at. But the problem is, if you read it the way the Christians typically read it, it would read something like this. Yeah, help me understand. By that. this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and love the children of God. Because obey his commandments in Christianese is love one another. There is no other commandment. That's the only one. Got it. So yeah, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love the children of God. Wait, okay. I'm a little confused. I bet Very mystical. Love, I bet you're loving the children of God. So instead, if you read it from a Torah perspective, it makes complete sense. You know you love the children of God. How do you know what love looks like? It looks like obeying God. It looks like doing what he said to do when he said how you should love one another. Otherwise, you've got a... Um, it's a huge chaotic mess because we don't have a definition of love. I mean, that's what the world is struggling with today. I mean, what one person's definition of love is is another person's definition of, of, of perversion. Another, yeah. another person's definition of cruelty. We don't have a definition of love. Unless that, you look to the Torah. And the Torah is the only one. And if we sum up the Torah into two. The Old Testament and the New Testament. No. Oh. Two commandments. Two commandments. Love. Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I was thinking that verse 3, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, is what Yeshua said. If you love me, you will do what I told you. Yeah, Pentecost um, 5, 17 and 18, right? And his commandments are not burdensome. And it's so interesting, my dad's a big fan of this passage, because that's exactly the opposite of what you hear so many times. That's right. Oh, I can't, oh, can't so possibly keep you could. Why would you even want to? Well, so hard. My, the argument I always got, and I got from, from some really strong believers was, keep the, are you kidding? Nobody can keep the commandments. It's impossible. It's only Yeshua because he was perfect. And yeah. God. Yeah. So he cheated. Didn't, didn't you know that they were deliberately burdensome so you would know you couldn't keep them? That's it. It was all, oh, just, it was all just a trick. So they'd know they needed a savior. Wake up, wake up. You're putting yourself back under the law. Oh, man. It drives me nuts. Instead, this, I think, captures the spirit of someone who loves God. If you love God, would you not want to do what he said? Well, I think it's more would than Would you that. not want to please him? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you there, and I love that, and that's, and that's the way my kids were when they were growing up. 
But what I heard um, from, you know, that friendly rabbi, um, he asked our community, what are the commandments? What, what do they do? And the answer, they connect us with God. And the sages say, if keeping a commandment connects me with God, give me more commandments. Mm-hmm. What a what a an opposite perspective than I'm so burdened down with all of these laws. Six hundred how many? Oh my goodness. Yeah. So obeying the rules brings us closer to God and more freedom. And we're reading here that the people that think that they have freedom by just doing whatever they want are slaves to the things that that they're seeking. Yeah, that's exactly right. Knowing the boundaries is important. Studies show if they don't put a fence around the playground at the the schools, the kids huddle near the building, they they won't go out onto the playground. Put up a fence, kids know exactly what the boundaries are. They go right up to the edge. And they know they're not supposed to go beyond the fence. So, cool. Final comments? Just want to highlight that um, this is, as you pointed out, one of the last written books in the Bible. Correct. This is written 60 years after Yeshua. And amazingly enough, the Torah is still the standard of righteousness. Yeah, that's a good point. And, uh, you know, that's, that's our focus in this whole thing is, is what... What is it we're supposed to be looking at and doing? And it still hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think the Didache was written uh, in 110, 120 or something like that. So I'll grant you, maybe that wasn't out and that's supposed to replace it, but you've got uh, 23 books of the Bible that would uh, argue against that. Quran wasn't written yet either, so That's good point. we can rule good that point. one out as well. Yeah, yeah. All right. So we will come back next week for uh, lesson sixty, and that will be second uh, uh, and third John, and the first four chapters of Revelation, or three chapters. First three chapters of Revelation. Um, and then you will have another class that does, uh, in 61, we'll do chapters 4 through 15. We breeze right through it. You'll read it in 10 minutes, and it's nice and easy. And then um, the last one will be, actually, it goes 4 through 13, and then you've got 14 to 22. Just read it on your own. Have a great time. So we will finish in 61. We'll finish it, I think. Which is May 8th. And, yeah, 61 does 4 through 11. And then... Um, and that's it. The rest of the book. And then Lesson 62 is the last one. And that will be the summary. And we will... When is that? Well, that be the following week? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So May... Yeah, so it should be pretty good, though... Um, the summary class is going to be, I will have gone through all four volumes that we've written. And every comment any of you made 
and summarize them all so that we can say, okay, we started in Matthew 1 over a year ago and said we'll walk through it chronologically, and here we are, and this is what we found. When I'm done, we'll take at least one week off, two weeks off, what are we taking off? And then you and Juliana have a class? Like a month, month and a half, if we're going to wait till we start that class, because so, that doesn't start till the seven weeks of consolation. So we'll take, we will take time off. I don't know how much time we'll take off, but um, Joshua's got a cool study put together for us to walk through the uh, seven Shabbats of uh, Shabbat of Consolation. Um, so I'll see how much time is in between there, because we may do some prep work for the eschatological study. Um, just to kind of whet your whistle, but we'll give you some time off for sure. I need a break. So, Baruchatam and Anayim Lohinu Malak Haolam, Asher Kedushanu Vemitzvotav Etzivanu Al Sefarat HaOmer. Amen. It's twenty-five days of the Omer, which is three weeks and four days. I mean, yes, sir. You've only done like sixty some odd studies. Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, but I, I can honestly say I have, and I think Scott said the same, um, I've, I've never read through the scriptures specifically looking this way. This has been extraordinary. And uh, I think I have some tidbits and snippets that uh, I'll start to put into my little uh, categorized rebuttal comments that uh, I think are stronger than before. So I'm feeling good about it. But... Uh, um, that summary class, um, I'll, I'll prep you at a time, like two weeks or something like that, two, three weeks. Um, but I'll, I'd, I'd like it if we could, if I'm done, play a game of body when we're done. And feel free to take a week off between 61s when I'll be back, you know. Yeah. Are you going to be at the beach? Mm-hmm. Uh, 12th through 19th. 12th through 19th. All right, we'll see. We'll see what we're doing there. Um, it may take me a while to go through the summary. Because there's just 62 classes. Man, I have something interesting that I might want to do on Tuesday too. Okay, you're you're up. I I elect you to do that. Okay. And thank you for uh, <laughs> jumping in there so quickly. Can't believe it took you that long. Holy cow! All right, let's. Um, close this. Close this out. Josh, you want to close? Oh, sure. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word. Thank you for teaching us about um, yourself and also about the, your expectations of us. Pray that you would help us as we go throughout this week to stick to the standard of righteousness mm. and not be swayed by our own um, desires and temptations and uh, things that we think we need, but that we would be able to um, serve you and stay true to the only standard of righteousness that you've given us in the Torah. Praise in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.